Staff Health Reporting and Vaccine Hesitancy, a conversation with Jennifer Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to our series of webinars focused on bringing you information about COVID-19 related topics. The information in these weekly webinars is geared toward long-term care and skilled nursing facilities, but we encourage everyone who is interested to attend. Today, we will be talking about staff health reporting and vaccine hesitancy. My name is Kathy Caudill. I'm a communications specialist with Quality Insights. And now I'd like to introduce our guest today, Jennifer Brown. Jennifer is a quality improvement specialist and infection preventionist at Quality Insights. She is a registered nurse with over 10 years of experience in a variety of healthcare settings, most recently as director of staff development and infection prevention in long-term care. She also has led several quality improvement and infection control initiatives in acute and ambulatory settings. So welcome, Jen, and thank you for joining us today to talk about staff health reporting and vaccine hesitancy. Thanks, Kathy. I'm so glad to be here. Today, we'll discuss staff health reporting and vaccine hesitancy. As we move into the fall and winter months, we must prepare for an increase in COVID and flu cases in our facilities. Staff members may experience a variety of respiratory symptoms to prevent the spread of infection to residents and other staff members. It is important for staff to report any concerning symptoms to the person designated to handle employee health matters, which is usually HR or an employee health nurse as soon as they develop. What symptoms should staff be reporting? With many respiratory illnesses, such as flu, COVID-19, and even the common cold, there can be a wide variety of symptoms, some of which are common in all three of these infections. Many individuals who have been infected in COVID-19 may also experience symptoms that mimic seasonal allergies. However, symptoms such as fever or chills, a new or worsening cough, shortness of breath, difficulty breathing, all should be looked at very closely. There are other symptoms such as fatigue, muscle or body aches, headache, new loss of taste or smell, sore throat and congestion or runny nose that may also be cause for concern. Other individuals might experience gastrointestinal symptoms such as nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea, which may be a symptom of COVID-19. And of course, if a team member has received a confirmed positive COVID-19 result through a home or laboratory test, they should communicate that to their appropriate party right away. Okay. And what should facilities do if a staff member calls out with symptoms? For definitive answers regarding a team member's health status, it is best to perform a screening to determine all of the symptoms they're experiencing, whether or not they've been exposed to anyone who's been ill. And also have the team member go for either rapid testing or laboratory testing, depending on the situation and availability of tests. If the individual is positive for flu or COVID-19, they should be restricted from work until they have recovered under CDC and or Department of Health guidelines. Okay. Uh, what is the current CDC guidance regarding work restrictions? So for staff who test positive for flu, the CDC advises all employees to stay home until they have at least 24 hours um, after their fever is gone without the use of fever-reducing medicines 
or after their symptoms have improved. And that's as, as long as it's been at least four to five days after the flu symptoms have started. For COVID-19, the team members can return to work after 10 days or after seven days with a negative test for those who are asymptomatic or who have mild or moderate illness with improving symptoms. The CDC has also provided modified return to work dates if the facility is operating under contingency or crisis capacity. How can facilities prevent illnesses among staff? Some prevention strategies uh, that you can do are source control. Uh, source control is very important during the fall and winter months. So following your mask policy will help prevent the spread of infection. And even encouraging staff to wear well-fitted masks outside of work uh, can help them reduce their exposure levels. Encouraging staff to avoid close contact with others and avoiding large groups. Um, frequently disinfecting high-touch surfaces. And of course, hand hygiene with soap and water or alcohol-based hand sanitizer can all help with reducing the spread of infection in the facilities. Education and reinforcement of your infection control policies is very important as well, especially during this time when people are experiencing higher rates of these fall and winter illnesses. And also encouraging staff to get up to date with their vaccinations if they have not done so already. While the COVID vaccines have been having long ongoing campaigns, over the past years to provide initial vaccinations and boosters to staff, influenza vaccinations typically begin in the fall. So having these high rates of acceptance of vaccines not only help with reducing staff infections, they also protect our resident population who are vulnerable to some of the more serious influenza and COVID-19 complications. Do you have any strategies that facilities can use to increase vaccine acceptance? Some things that can be done to increase acceptance of vaccination is to provide frequent clinics at convenient times and locations to provide easy access to vaccines, both for flu and for COVID. Some team members may have vaccine hesitancy, particularly surrounding the COVID-19 vaccines. There has been a lot of misinformation put out there in the general public the media, and also the internet, especially on social media apps. So education is very important to help combat vaccine hesitancy. One thing you can do to help educate your team about vaccines is to understand why they're hesitant to take the vaccine in the first place. So this is the first step to improving staff acceptance of both flu and COVID vaccines. Okay, and um, what are some common reasons that people give for not wanting the vaccines? A common reason that people give for not getting both flu and COVID vaccines is that they're afraid they will get sick. This is a myth. The injectable flu vaccine and COVID-19 vaccines do not contain live virus. So some of the individuals may experience side effects such as a sore arm at the injection site, a mild fever, body aches, but this does not mean that they have the actual flu or COVID-19 infection. These vaccine side effects are temporary and do not mean that you're sick. Um, another common reason that is given is that the vaccine doesn't work. You'll hear 
And I know someone who took the flu shot or took the COVID vaccine and they still got sick. And while it's possible to still get sick after immunization, it's important to reinforce that it is a safe and effective way to prevent some of the more serious complications of the disease. And what about those who feel that the COVID-19 vaccine was created too quickly? As an infection preventionist, I heard this a lot when the mRNA vaccines first came out. And while the vaccine was developed quickly, COVID-19 vaccines did not cut corners on testing for safety and efficacy. When educating people about the timeline, I often say, you know, even though the COVID-19 vaccine is new, the technology is not. And the vaccines were made using processes that had been developed over many years and tested over many years. And hundreds of millions of people in the U.S. have been safely vaccinated with the mRNA vaccines. But with any misinformation, there are strategies to help. The CDC put out guidelines to help dispel misinformation. So the first thing you can do is listen to and analyze the misinformation that's circulating in your community through the social media apps and through traditional media monitoring. This can help you understand where, when, and why, and also how misinformation is spreading through your community. Also engage and listen to your staff and even your residents to identify and analyze what they're thinking, content and context gaps, information voids and misinformation. And also share accurate, clear and easy to find information that addresses common questions. So this can be done through your website, social media, or other places your audience, audience looks for health information, maybe your um, employee intranet. Um, and also using trusted messengers to boost uh, credibility and the likelihood of being seen and believed over misinformation. So providing information from trusted leaders at your facility, such as your educator, director of nursing, or a medical director is a great way to get out information about vaccines. However, some people may have greater trust in their religious leaders or community organizations and may look to them for information. So perhaps they can be invited in for a Q&A session to help dispel some of the misinformation out there. And the CDC has also published a toolkit for motivational interviewing, which we'll share uh, the link of that in the chat, which might be helpful in broaching these crucial conversations and assisting staff in making an educated decision about whether or not to get the vaccine. All right, thanks, Jen. So you gave me a lot of uh, good resources there and I shared all those links in the chat. And for anyone who is watching a recorded version of this webinar later, I will include all of those links in the description, whether it's on YouTube or in our podcast. If you want to contact Jennifer directly, you can reach her at 1-800-642-8686 and enter extension 3227. You can also email her at jbrown at qualityinsights.org. You can check out our other interviews by visiting qualityinsights.org slash qin slash multimedia.